Welcome to Screensavers. I'm Michael Gallett. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast, a show about the world of cinema and a celebration of our love of movies. Today, we will be getting in the spirit of the season by talking about holiday movies. We'll discuss our favorites, some unfavorites, and later we'll be reviewing the new Christmas movie, Home Sweet Home Alone, which is available on Disney+. Plus. But before we get to that, it's our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week? Aside from several Christmas movies with varying degrees of quality, um, which we will discuss in a little bit, I watched Spider-Man 2.1, which is basically the extended version of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. As well as, I've been keeping up with the Hawkeye series, Hawkeye Episode 3, which I was pretty stoked after the first two, but Episode 3 absolutely has me hooked. We get to see Maya Lopez for the first time. We, um, we get to see a certain character that is has been rumored to come back, and hmm. we get to see his hand. Um, an unmistakable hand, if you ask me. Um, not going to say much more than that in case you're not up to date on it, but let's just say. Is it the master hand from Super Smash Brothers? <laughs> yes, it is It is the master hand from Super Smash Brothers. Oh, uh, excellent. I was trying to go spoiler free, but then you went and go, you know. Just comes down and smash soccer. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, it was unmistakable. You saw that white glove, the disembodied white the glove just that come into the scene. I like yeah. that the hand laughs. I thought that was Hamburger Helper, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, God. Are they the same? Is the master <laughs> hand and the Hamburger Helper the same? Is it, Have we uncovered a conspiracy? Oh, God, I hate Hamburger Helper. <laughs> Shots fired. Hamburger Helper, your turn to respond. <laughs> Not sponsored by them and never will be. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did Hamburger Helper do to you? It it was gross. I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I don't. My every time growing up, my mom made it as a kid, and this is not anything to do with her cooking. This is everything to do with her using hamburger helper to cook. And it's like the, they had, like the cheeseburger macaroni one. I just remember having that more than enough times as a kid, and I just ugh, I can't stand it. Now anything <laughs> hamburger helper is just I can't do it. I know, I never knew that about you. <laughs> It's a it's a random thing to be, to just be a front. No, <laughs> it does. It doesn't come up a to, lot. True, fair. Yeah. yeah. All right, fair enough. Oh, just quickly, when was the last time you think you had it? Uh probably a decade ago now. Uh, man, I think the recipe has been updated. They're really they've really been hard at work updating. <laughs> They're really helping the hamburger. <laughs> Yeah, the hamburger is not even really a helper anymore. It really directs the entire dinner. <laughs> All right, have you been watching anything else? No, that was that's pretty much been it. Um, yeah, that's about it. All right, Tyler, what have you been watching? I watched an incredible underrated film, Black Dynamite, which is from 2009. It was directed by Scott Sanders, and it's basically just a spoof of like 1970s black exploitation films. And it's just really, it's done, like, deliberately with, like, bad camera work, low budget and everything, just to make it um, as faithful to, like, the B-movie exploitation films as it could be. 
And there's just, like, it's one of the most quotable movies. Like, every line is just delivered great. There's parts where, like, the actors just read the script cues into the lines. You have, like, the, the actors, like, like forgetting lines, like, looking off into the camera during scenes. Um, the boom mic falls into the shot occasionally. Um, it's just done really well. Like, I, I can't do it justice. I think you have to watch it. There's so many great lines that, I, I mean, when I watch comedy movies, a lot of times I feel like laughing at them is, like, a social thing. Like, I kind of, like, chuckle when, like, if I'm in, yeah. like, an audience laughing, I would. But this movie, I was laughing out loud so much. And that's not often I find movies like that. So I definitely recommend it. It's very offensive because it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be parody of that. Um, obviously, the black exploitation drama, which is in and of itself kind of messed up. But um, Yeah, when you, when you do spoof or parody films, you really run the risk of, like, becoming even stupider yeah. than the thing that you're... And, like, in a bad way, too. Uh, but I love it when a film can kind of ride that oh, fine line. Oh, it definitely does it well. Yeah. Being clever and dumb at the same and time. And Roger Ebert was a fan, so just <laughs> uh, yeah, go go read well, Roger Ebert's review for just a really like weird, the most take. obscure we're... paragraph, bizarre, out of place paragraph. Yeah, Whatever. and you'll know what we're talking about. Like, I don't, I don't want to speak for you guys. I love reading Roger Ebert's reviews, but that's every once in a while, there's something you go. What? That's definitely one of them. <laughs> like, I literally just my my response is like, wait, what is this? I looked, I made sure that it was Roger Ebert doing the review. It was. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll know what we're talking about. Uh, I've been watching. A, I watched a new movie on Netflix. I'm not sure when it premiered on Netflix, but it uh, was out at Sundance earlier this year. It's called Coming Home in the Dark. This is from New Zealand. This is about a family on like a remote picnic who encounter two dangerous men, which leads the father of the family to come to terms with a horrible incident that happened years ago. This is directed by James Ashcroft, written by Ashcroft and Eli Kent, and based on a short story of the same name by Owen Marshall. Uh, This is very atmospheric, very much a slow burn, which a term I feel like gets used a lot, but it's applicable here. You learn things slowly about the characters. Um, There are a lot of like explosive moments kind of interspersed um with calmer stuff it's very staccato and there's a few surprises along the way and while there's admirable scripting acting and all that stuff ultimately i just didn't love it that much and like the more i thought about it the more it just kind of felt empty to me and i just I, i i didn't love it but if you're looking for kind of a tense thriller it's only like 90 minutes long and it's on Netflix, go ahead and fire that one up. It's called Coming Home in the Dark. I've also been watching, rewatching some Spider-Man stuff. And I've also been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm Season 11. Uh, Larry David's done it again. I mean, this is 11 seasons now, and he's still picking, picking nits with everything in society, and it's just as good as ever. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I love Curb. Our ambulance countdown. We're 73 days away from Michael Bay's ambulance. Yes. Uh, No trailers to discuss this week. We're going to go right to Christmas, to holiday movies. And I just want to start by asking, when does it start for you? When is it okay to start watching Christmas movies for you guys? Um, I'd say, like, after Thanksgiving, I guess. I mean, obviously, listener, you do you, whatever you feel comfortable, whatever your tradition is. 
but that's about when I do it is just after Thanksgiving. I say it's fair game after Halloween. Entirety of November, really? December, yes. I mean, I more get into it after Thanksgiving, but you know, I'll watch a Christmas movie after that, like <laughs> mid November. Oh, see, after after Halloween, I'm still coming down from horror movies, so that doesn't my horror movie kick doesn't end till like mid November. I I can see both, and I like a little bit of Thanksgiving fair, but you guys know me. I think Thanksgiving a little mediocre. The, the traditional food at Thanksgiving, and I say this nothing about the cooking of the people I've been around, turkey, mashed potatoes, cranberry sauce, like I never ever request any of those things at any other time of the year. Turkey is bland as hell. I'm just going to throw that out yeah, there. Yeah, yes, it is. I, I, have to, I have to disagree. I have to strongly disagree. I, Thanksgiving is like the best meal of the year. I will go what on record and say have? that. What do you usually have? I mean, I have the the usual stuff like the turkey, the gravy, the mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes or not sweet potatoes, squash. Do you have um, cranberry mold? No, I have cranberry sauce, which I kind of I got lazy this year and um, I didn't contribute to Thanksgiving dinner, but my mom pretty much took care of everything, so it was fine. Um, <laughs> But um, I made my own cranberry sauce before. I made my own turkey before. I, you know, I take it very seriously. Yeah, you are the chef of our group too. I, I kind of well, I've been, been pretty lazy about it lately. But yeah, I, I, I would say so. I would definitely say so. I don't get the the name cranberry mold. Hey, do you want to eat this mold? Mm, no, I don't think I do. Thank you. What very is much. cranberry mold? It's just uh, when a cranberry turns evil and they have to smash it down and kill it and then they put it on the plate and you're supposed to eat it. What does it come like? Oh, wait. Okay, never mind. When you said cranberry mold, I thought you meant just like the jelly cranberry sauce. No. Because it molds to the can. Oh, 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 oh. That's all I thought it was. Is that not what that is? Um, it's, it's kind of what it is. It's, it's oh, a okay. mixed definition, but basically, yeah, like a cranberry gelatin. Oh, okay. I've never heard it called oh, that before. Yeah. No, oh, either. I, you're lucky because it's disgusting. <laughs> I do want to highlight one Thanksgiving movie. If you've watched our Twitter, you've seen this, but this is my favorite Thanksgiving mm-hmm. movie. This is Pieces of April. It's from 2003. Uh, Peter Hedges wrote and directed. It's his, his directorial debut. Um, he also did Dan in Real Life, which we discussed briefly last time. You can catch that on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> not sure why, but you can. Oh, and, and by the way, my sources were wrong, and The Last Duel is not on Disney+. Plus. Oh. And I'm big mad. All right, retraction. Retraction <laughs> there. That'll teach you to trust Chet Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> That 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 may or may not be accurate. Chet Hanks, I may or may not have said that. In in a Jamaican, a fake Jamaican accent. Oh boy, let's let's end there. Yeah. Uh, Pieces of April is about a young woman played by Katie Holmes, who is estranged from her family, but has to manage to make them Thanksgiving dinner as they come over. This movie just has the entire emotional spectrum in it. It's funny. It's sweet. There are just absolute gut punches at a few points. Patricia Clarkson is is giving you everything she's got. 
Katie Holmes is awesome. Derek Luke, Sean Hayes, Oliver Platt, they're all awesome. You guys have a favorite Thanksgiving movie? Yeah, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I think that's that's a year-rounder for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if I'd call that a Thanksgiving movie, but if, if it was, then that's it, because I can't think of a single other one. Well, if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then Sam and Raimi's Spider-Man can be called Thanksgiving movie, so... And what is Thanksgiving without Willem Dafoe being a creep? You know, I'm something of a creep myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our favorite holiday Christmas movies. We're going to go round robin. We're going to throw one out. We're going to discuss it. Uh, Tyler, why don't we start with you? Throw one out. So uh, I put Bad Santa. Um, Bad Santa is one of those rare, like, grown-up movies, grown-up Christmas movies that actually works for me. Um, I think most of them come off as terrible. This one I actually like. I think it's funny. I think it's, uh, you know, I haven't seen it in a couple of years. It may not have aged well. <laughs> I'm sure. No, I just can I can tell you yeah. right now it hasn't. I, I bet it hasn't. Yeah. It's early 2000s comedy, so you got to expect didn't it. They, didn't they come out with a like a threequel of it, like a third movie in it, like maybe four or five years that ago? That was actually just oh, the sequel. Really that was oh it was yeah. bad Santa too. I didn't see that. Yeah. That looked awful. But what about what about badder Santa? Because there was a ba- wasn't there a bad Santa and a badder Santa? <laughs> badder Santa, not yeah, worse I, Santa. I, I'm not making this up. But that might have just been like the uncut version or something. Yeah. No, no there's definitely hey, only two bad Santas that I know. Of. Wasn't the the sequel like Kathy Bates and Billy Bob Thornton yeah. like punching each yeah, other? Because there was this mother. You know, yeah, I had no desire to see that. Okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. No, I am wrong. That's fine. <laughs> it's okay to be wrong about that. Yeah, I think Bad Santa's funny. Uh, it, it does reach, like, an irreverence that is, like, okay, as opposed to something that's, I don't know, like, Four Christmases, which is, like, an adult <laughs> Christmas comedy that I'm not at all a fan of, despite being a fan. I like Vince Vaughn. I like Reese Witherspoon, but I'm really not a fan of that movie. Matt, what about you? What do you got? I want to talk about Elf, starring Will Ferrell, directed by Jon Favreau, one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. I love it. Um, the Just the fish-out-of-water premise of Buddy coming from the North Pole into New York to try and find his father, played by James Caan. Which, seeing James Caan in a comedic role like that is a very special occurrence, because you don't see that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last time was The Godfather. <laughs> True. Um, Zoe Deschanel playing the love interest was awesome. And I think Will Ferrell was like the perfect person for that role. Because yeah. of just, he, even outside of this role, like he always play, has, he, he always plays like the man-child role to a T. And he does it so well. And it's just like he play, plays it with such sincerity too. It's, I mean, there was the news recently about how he turned down the sequel, and I think it would have been cool to see him try and do that role again. But at the same time, I think this was definitely like a one of a kind movie <clears throat> that they could that I'm not sure they could quite ever replicate again. Yeah, and I'm glad they didn't. Uh, this came out in 2003. I remember when it was out, this was like the movie to see. I was so excited for it, and it completely delivered. 
Um, it gives you that spirit of Christmas. It's so uniquely funny. I want to say this about James Khan. He has a very like unique quality that not a lot of other people have. Is he is so good at like turning from tender to menacing at like mm-hmm. the drop of a hat. And this is used to like full effect in this movie when he has to be heartwarming, when he has to be uh, kind of a menace and kind of this really aggressive, um, neglectful father. And that really comes through. This is the first time I think I saw Zoe De Chanel, and she is she just has a perfect like attitude, but also heart in this movie. Yeah, Elf is. I watched it. I think last year. I haven't watched it this year, and I'm like. This is just a really well-constructed movie. Uh, everything about it is great. Absolutely. I totally agree. Now maybe they'll make a sequel, since he was lost in New York in this one, maybe they'll make an Elf 2, um, Lost in Chicago. Lost, Yeah, Lost in Chicago. Well, Will Ferrell could have certainly helped, uh, helped the newest Home Alone movie, but <laughs> in good time, we'll get to that. Um... I want to highlight a new one that was out on Netflix. I I was enthralled by this. This is called A Boy Called Christmas, directed by my beloved Gil Keenan of Monster House fame, uh, written by Keenan and Ole Parker, and based on a book by Matt Haig. This is about uh, a grieving family that get told a story by their aunt, played wonderfully by Maggie Smith, about a young boy who goes in search of his father and finds a society of elves. It is like a kind of a Christmas origin story you get a lot of the traditional uh how did these things come about but it's really new it's really refreshing this is like the best kind of family film because it's funny the emotions are authentic and often portraying like really difficult emotions but not like overbearing or sappy or something that's going to kind of like make you squirm in your seat it's adventurous the visuals hit the christmas spot there's one sequence of like a storing being told through like a little shadow character running around on the walls and it's one of the most captivating that i've seen all year it has the cutest mouse since despero sally hawkins in this movie she came on and she was given 900 percent like i if she got an oscar nomination for this movie a boy called christmas i am for real serious would just think that it is totally deserved. Her, her emotion comes through in this in this elf village. I was shocked. This even has like a Professor X versus Magneto debate about isolationism versus integration, all all in this Christmas story. Uh, I mean, this is just awesome. I do want to give just a brief warning. It is a family film, and there's nothing super hard or graphic in it. Um, but just you know. I understand sometimes you're not in a certain mood for things, and this movie does deal with uh, grief and losing a family member, uh, specifically a parent. Uh, it doesn't get too heavy or anything, and it's I, I think it deals with it very well. But just be warned, if you're not in the mood for that kind of thing when you're picking a holiday movie this season then you know just be warned that 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 is in there this is available on netflix so if you are a game then just watch it right away because it's awesome i'm assuming neither of you saw a boy called christmas no normally that normally that would be a safe assumption but i i did see parts of it because it was on in the background at thanksgiving when i was with my family so i didn't watch it like intently but it was on in the background. He absorbed and it looked it. good from what I saw. 
What? I said you absorbed it. <laughs> you didn't watch it. You absorbed it. Oh. Anybody who has seen Dumb and Dumber has seen a boy called Christmas because Jim Carrey is Lloyd Christmas. So we've we've all seen a boy <laughs> called Christmas at one point or another. True. Tyler, what do you got next? I got Jingle All the Way next, which is a Ooh. beyond stupid movie, but it's, it holds a special place in my heart. I loved it as a kid. I still watch it now. Um, I, I'll never get over the line, though. Who told you you could eat my cookies? <laughs> So, I say that all the time, just without context. So, um, even even when there's not cookies around, even when there's not cookies, no, just just randomly, everyone's confused. What, what if what if there are what if there are hot sauce cookies? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> um, but I, I I think there's a special leeway you get with holiday movies. Like it's not like a movie I'm watching for. I'm watching it like maybe once a year just for the christmas spirit i guess so I, I don't think every holiday movie needs to be like a masterpiece so i think there is leeway there it, it's a dumb movie but it, I, I like it yeah i agree it's just for fun is a, a perfect for any movie of any genre um i mean and this one has the wonderful message that if you want your child to love you then you just have to get them a rare toy exactly uh, yeah <laughs> It's funny that you say a Christmas movie doesn't need to be a masterpiece because this next one certainly is. Um, and by that, I mean it's a movie that plays for 24 hours on TBS every year. It's a Christmas story. Did you guys ever partake in the, the 24-hour marathon? I usually watch at least once in the 24-hour marathon, yes. Yeah, same here. Um, so it's about a little boy named Ralphie who discovers that he wants a Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas, but everyone keeps telling him, no, no, you can't. It's dangerous. You'll shoot your eye out. And, but this boy is persistent. And that is one of the themes of the whole movie is this boy's persistence. And it ends up mostly paying off for him. Although, spoiler alert, he does end up shooting his eye out. Which, yeah, but he was wearing glasses, so it was all good. Yeah, yeah, true. So, so shout out to everyone that wears glasses. Um, you may have gotten picked on as a kid, but you also won't shoot your eye out. So, right, Tyler? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I also, I mean, the only the biggest gripe I have with this movie is the horrible. The, the end scene where they're yeah, in the Chinese bad. restaurant, the horribly racist Chinese restaurant scene. Um, yeah, that was not good then. It's definitely not good now, so it definitely did not age well. Terrible. Um, but you know what aged even worse? The sequel to this movie, because that one was dead on arrival. What um, happens in the Christmas <laughs> story, too? A second Christmas story. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pull this up, because I... I I, t- I had plenty of notes. I had All right, so a Christmas story 2 takes place about 5 years after the first Christmas story. Um and, and first of all, I want to I want to point out this movie came out in 2012. So, we went a solid 30 years with well, aside from what I later found out, there was like an official sequel that came out in like the late 80s, I think. It was called My Summer Story. But this one brand according to like the trailer 
it brands itself as the quote an official sequel to a Christmas story. That we were all um, clamoring for. 2012? This yes, yes. <laughs> I yes, did not it realize that. Twenty twelve. Um and it, oh. And it start um its biggest star is probably Daniel Stearns of Home Alone fame. <laughs> among other things. Um what, what happens in this movie? <laughs> so basically it takes place five years after the first Christmas story. So Ralphie is a teenager and he um, is about to go about to get his license. So his dad brings him, whose dad is played by Daniel Stearns. Um, he brings him to this car dealership. And then there's like this weird, like subplot about like his dad teaching him how to talk the car dealer down. And like, it's all about, and they've been like, they spent like six months trying to like subliminally convince him to sell the car <laughs> at a low price. <laughs> <laughs> so um i i don't really remember i don't it didn't pay off but um so <laughs> all that work no Six months. <laughs> so so then the main con- so the main conflict of the movie or the main the main uh hurdle of the movie is that ralphie gets it so the car is on like this little uh, slanted sort of ramp that they used to display the car. So he gets in the car and he's just sits in the car. He wants he's like pretending to drive it because he's like fifteen and he's just his friends like dare dare him to go sit in the car, and he ends up like taking it out of park somehow without a key, which I don't know how that managed to work, and it and crashes the car and wrecks the the roof of it. Um, so the whole movie is about how he. And his friends are trying to make enough money to pay the car back. And then there's also, like, there's a lot to unpack with this movie. There's just so many, like, it was an hour and a half movie. It felt like a three-hour movie. So, fun fact is that <laughs> in the area around where we live, there have been several instances of people just driving straight into showrooms, car showrooms. And I feel as though that is more interesting than whatever this movie is offering. 100%. It like it like tries to throw callback lines in like into like the weirdest parts like I think that uh his little brother Randy was he like swore and she's like don't make you I'll make you bite the bar if you uh keep that up. I'll make you like, bite huh? the bar. Nudge nudge, remember that? <laughs> um also whoever named these characters I I, I don't know what so, uh, obviously, there's Ralphie, and apparent. I don't know if they gave them the la- him a last name in the original. So, but their la- last name's Parker. So, Ralphie Parker. Okay. Um, his love interest is a girl named Drusilla Gutrad. Love is love, man. Dr- I don't know. Drusilla. Um, but she is in love with a jock named Todd Chapin. <laughs> and, um, God, Harry Chapin's son that he's <laughs> yeah. singing that cast and, I, and, I, and I, tru- I truly I truly forgot um, what the, what type of character this person was but there was someone in this movie named Elkhart Lutheran as well Elkhart Lutheran yeah hmm. um, so they bring back the uh, the daydream sequences and there's like one part where Ralphie saves Drusilla from a Nazi general who has her tied up for some reason <laughs> what um let's see there's a line in this movie it's just this movie came out in 2012 and this is a line in a movie that came out in 2012 
his dad goes to him when he's teaching him how to drive with a clutch, with like a stick. He goes, treat the gas like your wife and the clutch like your mother-in-law. That's hilarious. (laughs) That's that's terrible. comedy right there. Um... What what else I wrote down? Oh, so another callback. Flick gets his st- tongue stuck in a mailing tube. That sounds just terrible. A, t- a terrible modernization of of the the icy pole. Um, what else? There's also like a side. Oh, so there's like a side plot about his the mom and dad go to a butcher shop. Um. And they go to buy a turkey, but the dad's complaining about how expensive the turkey is. So they storm out, and then he decides he's going to go ice fishing to catch a fish for Christmas dinner instead. And he has a bad time with it, and he gets all—he it's like a whole dilemma that he's having. Does he get wet? Yeah. Oh, that's just. That's... Oh, and then there's even a scene where <laughs> there's also a scene where he's trying. They have a fish on the line, but the hole in the ice isn't big enough for the fish, so you just see like this mouth of a fish just sticking out. <laughs> Of the ice, it's just it's this. Uh, all the I swear, all these things are like loosely tied together with a plot, but with with their attempt at a plot. Well, um, I I was just gonna say one of the good things about a Christmas story itself is that it does have that like through line of Ralphie wanting the rifle, um, but it it does like all these little vignettes of childhood, and it is all kind of loose and scattered but somehow is held together in a way that's entertaining. It, it's one of the movies that I think is really authentic about showing the fantasies that you have in, in childhood that you think like you can be the king of the world. And then, you know, you open your eyes in class and you see that, you know, you're, you're just another idiot third grader, which, you know, I think we all can relate to that. I mean, that happens every day to me. Yeah, I'm just another <laughs> idiot third grader. I, I know I'm doing a terrible job at recreating this movie, but I still think I'm doing better than the actual movie did. So I yeah, I can't that. imagine that the movie is very good. So oh, um, let's see. Oh, the ending. So for some reason, <laughs> so the end of the movie, Ralphie instead of so the car dealer ends up forgiving the debt at the end of the movie. So basically, all the effort making all this money on the side was for nothing because it got all got forgave forgiven anyway um but he takes the money instead to buy a homeless kid and his family dinner and to buy his dad a new leg lamp and that was and that was the end of the movie that sounds fantastic another christmas story a second christmas story oh my god it was christmas story three it was it was a it was like a bad fever dream i think the funniest thing in all of a Christmas story, and you guys can say your funniest thing, is that kid in line when they're waiting for Santa and he goes, I like Santa. And he just has that, yes. like, that disturbing <laughs> smile. And they're like, I'm like, where did they find this kid? I just, he, he could just stand like, there and be hilarious. And then the Tin Man walked by, he's like, I like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I just like, how, like, where did, where did he come from? Did they just see him one day? And they're like, we gotta put that kid on film. Oh yeah, there was a, there was a Santa scene in this one too. Um, he, uh, I can't even remember exactly how it went, but it ended up like Ralphie didn't was like mad at the Santa because he wasn't taking the kids seriously or something, and uh, he ended up just like yelling at the kids, telling them to go home because he he was there dressed as an elf. And it was Billy Bob Thornton. 
Yeah. Oh. In as the sling blade roll. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Might as well happen. Yeah. Uh, I uh, my next one. I want to throw out the Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll take any opportunity ever to talk about the Muppets. Uh, this is from 1992, directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson, written by Jerry Jewell, and based, of course, upon A Christmas Carol, a Charles Dickens classic. This is the first movie after Jim Henson's death. Um, it's The plot is A Christmas Carol, told by the Muppets. What more explanation do you need? It's hilarious as always. I mean, Gonzo is portraying Charles Dickens. It's hilarious. I love the the direction and cinematography by John Fenner. It's all very like low to the ground. It, it has like a very different feel from the other Muppets movies, uh, but but no worse. It doesn't shy away from the darker aspects of A Christmas Carol. I mean, A Christmas Carol is like an incredibly gothic, uh, dark tale about about classism, materialism, um, the consequences of poverty and greed and all that stuff. And they don't really shy away from this, even being a Muppets movie. Uh, there's a joke where I think Rizzo says, like, isn't, isn't a lot of this stuff going to, like, scare the kids? And Gonzo just goes, it's culture. And I, that is kind of a, 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 genera, a rationalization we often give for this kind of thing. The ghosts in this movie are genuinely scary. Like, the effects are still freaky even now. Uh, these are not the best songs that the Muppets have ever done. I do have to say that. But Michael Caine as Scrooge is, like, incredibly sinister. And then he's regretful. And then he's joyous. And I believe it all. And there's also an adorable rendition of Good King Wenceslas to top it all off. So that is really the cherry on the top. So did it feature the ghost of Way Future as well? It did not, unfortunately. <laughs> Where are you guys on the Muppets? I love I'm the Muppets. I'm a Muppets fan. Yeah. All right, good enough. I, I love that. <laughs> I do want to quickly introduce another one to sort of ask, pose a question. Okay. I want to talk about briefly about Christmas movies that are very tangentially Christmas movies. Where it's not really central to it, but it's there. And my favorite one is Tangerine. This is from 2015, written by Sean Baker, uh, directed by Sean Baker, and written by him and Chris Bergoch. Uh, this is about two transgender sex workers. One of them just got out of jail. The other reveals uh, that while she was inside, her boyfriend cheated on her. And then on Christmas Eve... They have to trek across L.A. to find him. There's other sorts of various subplots. This is one of the funniest movies of the 2010s. I, I laughed so much out loud when I watched this. Sean Baker is so unique in the films that he makes. I can't wait to see Red Rocket. The performances by Katana Kiki Rodriguez, Maya Taylor, Karen Karagulian, uh, just It's all so good. But it's like... I often forget that it's set on Christmas Eve because it's not super central to the plot. Do you guys have like a, a movie that you like that's like the holiday is kind of around the movie without being the center of the movie? Die Hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I expected that. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. You know what? That's a Christmas movie. I'll defend that. Uh, very unoriginal take. I get it. But I mean, Die Hard's one of my favorite action movies of all time. So it's got Christmas in it. <laughs> it's definitely my pick. The new Hawkeye has it takes place around Christmas time. 
do Christmas things happen without giving spoilers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just all the set pieces are Christmas. It's Christmas in New York. You know, they got the tree. Um, one of the one of the biggest um, what-ifs about the season is, is Hawkeye going to make it home for Christmas to his family? Because I mean, he has to stay in New York and while they go back to Missouri for reasons. Um, I'm not going to go much further into plot detail than that, but um, I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Is Renner going to have enough CDs to stock in everybody's stockings? <laughs> I hope so, because if I don't get one for Christmas, I'm going to be so disappointed. Check out the Jeremy Renner rendition of Mm-mm-mm-mm, originally by the Crash Test Dummies. Uh, it's very interesting. Hey, good. It's good an for incredible him. song. Yeah, it's it's one in, very uh, interesting storytelling. Mm-hmm. Also, R.I.P. to the Renner app, the Jeremy Renner app. Yes. Did not survive long enough to see this uh, the the Renner songs, and uh, kind of sad about that. All right, I I don't mean to be nitpicking. Do we have to attach songs? To every single performer, <laughs> every single thing. When Anytime they, an actor does a good movie after having a bad, right? Movie, they took the oh, they took two years off, and now they're back with well, oh, it's the sans, it's uh, it's it's the Polly Shore sans. It's <laughs> no, Polly Shore will never have a renaissance. Polly Shore sucks. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Polly Shore sucks. I will absolutely. <laughs> Polly Shore could be in this room right now, and I'd tell it to his face. You suck, Polly Shore. <laughs> you wouldn't ask him why he's in your house. <laughs> I'd be too preoccupied telling him he sucks. You wouldn't be looking around. You're like, is this a biodome? Am I in the army now? Am I somebody's son-in-law? <laughs> that's that's just two more movies I than I know. <laughs> I don't live in Encino. <laughs> Not an Encino man. <laughs> Oh, we could go all day with that. So you're not a fan of the Frasier sons, then? I just define for me what it's been so far. Doom Patrol. Um, what? No sudden move. He was pretty good in that. For for. I mean, I'm part. happy that he's back. I just I don't know why we have to say sons for every performer, but that's just me being uh, crotchety like Scrooge. So don't mind me, Tyler. What else you got? I got one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. One of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Mm. Um, mm. I think this is a story. This is one that I watch almost every year. Um, it's just got a great, like, really, really depressing opening story. I mean, it deals with suicide and that. Um, but just like it's, it's a really good story of like, you know, you you affect people in ways you don't know, like like just look at like if you could look at lives without you how different they'd be and i think that's definitely an interesting take i know that's been done a million times now but i think that's one of the original stories that did it so i i definitely think that's a cool way to do it like hey you don't like um you know like hey like you may think you're in a terrible position but because where you are now like someone else is in a better position so like you like just how you affect lives that you don't realize it's cool that they showed it like alternate version of that yeah absolute Mm. classic do you watch it black and white or do you watch the color one is there a color one yeah i believe they did like a color remaster oh no i've always watched it in black and white i did not even know that existed (laughs) yeah 
I'm not always a huge fan of the, of the color remaster. Yeah, that's odd. Also, I forgot to I wrote this down and I forgot to mention it. Another tangential Christmas movie, Batman Returns. Tim Burton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what else you got? I'm just gonna list a few more off. We don't have to spend too much time on them. Um, the SpongeBob Christmas special because it has one of the best song and like well, one of the best like songs that ever was in a cartoon as a kid. This Christmas feels like the very first Christmas to me, of course. Squidward feeling like a, a donkey or another word for a donkey. And then there's Santa who's like on speed at the end because he's oh, just that's going right. nuts. Yeah. And also can breathe underwater. The squirrel can't, but Santa can because he's magic. Um, I also want to talk, point out Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, another classic one from childhood. Yeah, I was just going to mention all the Rankin-Bass specials True. and other ones that were not Rankin-Bass, but Santa Claus coming to town, Rudolph, the year without a Santa Claus, uh, Rudolph, shiny New Year, Frosty the Snowman, all of those are frankly my number one things to watch. Charlie Brown, Christmas too. those are all my favorite things. I would say more so than any movie. Oh, um, Charlie Brown Christmas is on Apple TV Plus. By the and way. there's going to be a, a new special. Yeah, that's new, right. New Year's Eve special. Yeah, so, so now that we... Uh, oh, God, what just happened? Okay, sorry. My <laughs> my whole screen like minimized, so I thought I lost it. I thought I, I lost you guys. Um, so yeah, while we have our trials going from when we watched Finch, now I can watch... Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, yeah, I got another another Santa origin story that's on Netflix. They're really killing it with that game. This is Klaus from 2019. Uh, Sergio Pablos did this. It's uh, from Google. After proving himself to be the worst student at the academy, a postman is sent to a frozen town in the north where he discovers a reclusive toy maker named Klaus, I'm not going to say much more about it. You know it's an origin story. The animation on this one is so spectacular and eye-catching. It speaks to the power of having a change of heart. Uh, Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons as mm. Santa, Rashida Jones. And uh, this was Netflix's first animated film to be nominated for an Oscar. So mm. good for them. And I want to bring up two more. One of them I'll be brief. This is Carol from 2015. I, this is another kind of tangential where Christmas is not central to this, um, but this is directed by Todd Haynes, written by Phyllis Nagy. It's not all about Christmas, like I said. This is about uh, the relationship between these two women, Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett. But in the beginning, you get a lot of department store stuff, which I always find to be synonymous with like kind of old school Christmas stuff. And the stuff in the department store is just gives you that exact feeling so well, retro Christmas feeling. It's almost, if anyone read the children's book Corduroy by Don Freeman about the bear, it's almost like I was watching a movie as though I was reading Corduroy, which is a feeling I am always looking for. So that's awesome. And this is based on the novel uh, The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith. And I just want to... Give a little tribute to Patricia Highsmith. Hollywood and the world owe so much to her. 
She wrote Strangers on a Train, uh, the Ripley novels, or the talented Mr. Ripley, and she wrote the novel Deep Water, which we're definitely going to be talking about that. So Patricia Highsmith, you are always in our hearts. And what I want to bring up to you guys is the Polar Express. This is from 2004. No, please. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. Oh, no. This is a collab between him and William Broyles Jr. They did Castaway together. Castaway is one of my favorite movies ever. And this is based on the book by Chris Van Allsburg, who's an incredible illustrator and writer. On Christmas Eve, a boy catches a ride on a train bound for the North Pole where Santa will give out the first gift of princess that's of Christmas. That's as simply as I can put it. A lot of other stuff happens on the way. Uh, this is one of the early motion capture movies, and that kind of shows in the effects a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here's the thing, is that this movie is confusing. This movie <laughs> is disturbing at parts. And I say this as an adult man. You know, sometimes you watch a movie as, as a kid, and you're like, oh, I'm kind of confused by that. But then as an adult, you get it. I don't get it still <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> and a lot of other people don't. Nope. I don't know what all of it means, but... For me, it just hits that Christmas mark, right? Especially the beginning with the arrival of the train and when they get to the North Pole. This has a ghost hobo. It has a really creepy marionette that like scolds a child. It has this is a <laughs> Michael Jeter's last role as Steamer and Smokey, like the conductors of this train love Michael Jeter, and it also has Aerosmith as elves. So. <laughs> I don't, you, re- you remember a lot more about this movie than I do. Yeah, it's, I, I, I feel like I've watched it a lot of times over the years. <laughs> I can't get over the uncanny valley-ness of the animation. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, this is freaky. So many of the characters don't have names, too, which I find... I think the main boy is called, like, Hero Boy or something like that. <laughs> is he really? He doesn't get a name? Hero Boy? I've tried for years to, like, determine the meaning of the tickets. Those, like, scenes where he's punching the tickets have always confused me. I, I get them a little bit, but I don't... I do find a lot of this visually amazing. Like, I love the, the caribou. Um, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Hero boy. Toothless boy. <laughs> Smokey. Oh, we got know-it-all. We got hero toothless girl. Toothless boy? <laughs> Hero girl? <laughs> pastry chef, pastry chef, waiter, waiter. A lot of waiters. There's also a scene of like elves who are like aggressively judging whether or not a child should go on the naughty list. Is that Aerosmith? No, that's not Steven Tyler. <laughs> no, but, no, but Steven Tyler is credited as elf lieutenant slash elf singer. Well, he carries double duties, lieutenant and a singer. Matt, what, what, I mean, you groaned when I first brought this up. What are your thoughts on the Polar Express? Mm, I'm still, no. Too um, traumatized. No, like, I, I just, I, I'm with Tyler. Like, the uncanny valley-ness of it is just, it was a turnoff as a kid, and I just never revisited it, <laughs> to be honest. I think you should. It's a repressed memory that I that I like to keep buried. Yeah, but it has Josh Groban singing at the end. <laughs> exactly. Does that sway you? <laughs> Does that sway anyone? 
Listen to this, okay? Josh Groban singing Oh Holy Night is one of the best Christmas songs that there's ever been. And Oh Holy Night will come up later in this episode in not such a positive light. So let's celebrate it now with Josh Groban singing it. (laughs) Thank you, Josh Groban. Thanks, Josh. From the silver screensavers to Josh Groban. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> like the PB, the PBS. Thank you. Yeah. I always felt so warm over the years when, from viewers like you. Thank oh, you. Like me. Yeah, my six-year-old self in my pajamas watching Saturday yeah. morning cartoons. Like me. I like that they kept it vague. From viewers like you, not specifically you, but somebody kind of similar to you. You didn't do anything, but people <laughs> like you did something. <laughs> Also, shout out to PBS. We love PBS. All right, those are our Christmas movies. We're going to be back in a minute with a review of a of certainly a Christmas movie, uh, the merits of which, yeah, technically a Christmas movie, <laughs> the merits of which uh, we will get into soon. So please stay tuned for that and suffer with us. All right, we're back, and we're here to talk about Home Sweet Home Alone. This is the description from Google, and I think this is very accurate. A married couple tries to steal back a valuable heirloom from a troublesome kid. That is about as well as you can put it. I just want to say this now. We are going to be spoiling this the entire time. So if you're a person who is looking for a recommendation, this is not my usual MO. I don't recommend that you watch this movie. There are plenty other holiday fare. You could sit in a blank room and eat popcorn balls, and that would be a better holiday time than this. Matt, Tyler, do you recommend this movie? This movie is an affront to God. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't recommend this movie. Everything from the premise up, the script, everything is horrible. I don't understand why this was made, and no, I don't think anyone should watch this. Uh... Okay, so my, my feelings are the same as you guys, but I, mine are a bit more muted. Because I, I did find a few... A, there were a few points that I that I got a chuckle out of. And I wasn't... I can't say I was bored during it. For better or worse, I mean, I was able to watch it from beginning to end and not be bored. There were points that I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. god, I'm, I can't believe they did that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But... I, then again... I suppose if if it wasn't for the pod, I wouldn't have watched it at all. So that kind of negates that point a little bit. But I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. But that that's also because I watched a Christmas story too the same day. So <laughs> <laughs> so to your point, I took the most amount of notes on this movie of any movie all year. So there was certainly an entertainment factor to it. Uh, let's let's just they're lying (laughs) well entertainment is a loose term (laughs) fair enough let's just set it up this was directed by dan mazer who is the writing and production partner of sacha baron cohen borat ali g and now home sweet home alone i can't Uh, believe that maybe this this whole movie was just a giant prank on all of us (laughs) Which it could be. Uh, he also directed Dirty Grandpa, which I often confuse with Bad Grandpa. Oh, as, as yeah, as we know. Yeah. This is written by Mikey Day, Streeter Seidel, and just really 
mixed feelings about this. A story credit was given to John Hughes. You know, John Hughes wrote the original Home Alone. Um, I I don't know if John Hughes would want his his name attached to this movie. I don't think he would at all. No. No, he's probably turning in his grave right now. Yes, uh, unfortunately, we love John Hughes. We don't love this movie. This is the sixth film in the Home Alone franchise. There's Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, (laughs) Home Alone the Holiday Heist, and now this one. The latter two of which I had never heard of ever at all. I haven't either, but I just want to point out the holiday heist. That's the whole point of the Home Alone films. <laughs> Why is that part no, of the title? You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think I saw Home Alone 4 taking back the house. at the. You know how, like, at the grocery store, they have, like, the little DVD section, like, right before the register, where it's got, like, all, like, like overstock movies that... That, oh, I thought you said. I thought you meant you saw them. No, there. no, yeah. <laughs> no. I didn't. No, I, I saw it sitting on a on like a stand at a grocery store on the way out. Is like oh, one of the, okay. one of those like last minute things like you grab. I, which I don't. I don't know anyone that's ever bought a movie from a grocery store. <laughs> like on Fun the way fact, out, you know, <laughs> like that. I bought one. You know, what movie it was. What? What's that? Reality Bites. <laughs> Yeah, I bought that from a, a grocery store. I saw it, and I'm like, I'm getting that. I love Ben Stiller. Not... I want to see... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's... the thing is, it's never, like... It's never the good movies that they sell there, either. It's either... Unless it's, like, a new release. Yeah, they know their market. Yeah. <laughs> They're not... I want to see Home Alone Water Damage, where it's just parents filling out insurance forms to collect money... From all the water damage that the wet bandits left after they just left people's taps on for nine days. That is that's the really just demonic act in these movies is leaving that water on. What about the insurance claims for all these kids that are setting traps and pulling pranks in the house? Like especially after this movie, which we'll talk about. My insurance does not cover that, unfortunately. Although these these parents needed life insurance after this, which which we will get into. Yeah. Let's let's set this up. Wrongful death. We got <laughs> insurance. Yeah, wrong, wrongful death claims. <laughs> we got three main characters. We got Archie Yates as Max. You might remember Archie Yates from Jojo Rabbit, where he was very charming and cute. And in this movie, he is none of these things. Um, the exact opposite. Yeah. He is not allowed to be a character. He's just a kid who like has an attitude, but his lines aren't even funny. Like I recognize that Kevin McAllister was kind of bratty as well, um, but he had some charm, and the things he said were funny. Max is not funny. We have Ellie Kemper as Pam. She is a mom. She is a wife. She is a teacher. She's trying to hold her family together. And her husband is Jeff, played by Rob Delaney. He has recently lost his job. All right, we're just going to take you through the movie. It starts... It opens on an open house. Pam and Jeff are trying to sell their house. The first joke in this movie is about load-bearing walls and about schools being, quote, lit, unquote. (laughs) So if you really wanted to get your kids in on this early and, you know, have them laugh while you teach them about load-bearing walls, then this is the movie for you. 
Can I just say something here? You know what's never been funny? Like people like misusing slang in movies. It's, it, it's not it's not a good or clever. Just stop. Yeah. And then Jeff keeps saying dumb stuff. So Pam is like, "Could you get more bottled water, please? I really think you should get more bottled water. Make sure the water is bought like I don't why are you specifying get bottled water?" And then as we see, he thinks that orange soda is bottled water. <laughs> His crates of orange soda. <laughs> yes. So we got a, a dual narrative here. Where we have them doing the open house, and then we have Max in the car with Mom. Their family is going to be coming over to their house, and Mom is very stressed out about it. She's like, the meaning of Christmas is to be with your family, even though they ruin your life and steal your soul. And then Max's response to that is, I have to urinate. <laughs> And so he can't wait until they get home. They have to go to an open house. There's nowhere else to go to the bathroom but an open house. I mean, I guess it makes sense. You know that the bathrooms are going to be clean. But he gets there, and he runs into Jeff. And Tyler, I want you to do your spiel about Frankenstein jokes because there's oh, a distinction yes. here. Another one. I'm going to be doing this a lot during this. This is this is this is comedy 101. A free lesson for everybody that's about to write a comedy movie. The jo- the Frankenstein versus Frankenstein's monster joke is not funny anymore. It hasn't been funny for years. Stop doing it. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> they do this for like 10 this is played on for like 5 minutes straight enough (laughs) yeah i agree and then like both the mother and max like make fun of jeff's appearance which i jeff is not a bad guy at this point so you're just like oh man like leave this guy alone yeah that that some of the humor in this movie which we're gonna talk more about is it's very mean-spirited like more mean-spirited than it needed to be yeah, yeah like, don't get it. Like, we're supposed to be rooting for the kid and endeared to him, so the first thing you do is have him insulting a stranger. Yeah. Like... Well, after he just took a piss in his clean house that he's trying to sell. <laughs> and also, like, like, Jeff wasn't rude to him in any way. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> this kid just flushed, walked out without washing his hands, and he's like, oh, you look like a freak of nature. <laughs> so... He runs into Jeff. Jeff has like a crate of orange soda for whatever reason. Max goes, oh, can I have one of those? And Jeff, very reasonably, he's like, oh, they're like incredibly sugary drink. I would have to ask your parent. So he doesn't give him one. Jeff also has a box of like old dolls, one of which has its head upside down. Max is looking at them. The mom comes in. She's looking at them. And then Max and the mom have a fight. And this really leads to the revelation of the movie. This is the moral, and you get it in like the first 10 minutes here, is that you can't promise McDonald's to a child and then not deliver. You can't do it. You can't say, hey, Max, you're getting a Happy Meal, and then snatch his dreams away. You can't do it. it it's true. And, and the fact of the matter is, the whole plot of this movie could have been avoided if they had gone to McDonald's because, A... He would have, they would have been delivered, so that would have, that wouldn't have been a moral issue. And B, there would have been a bathroom at McDonald's, which means they would have never went to the open house, which means the doll wouldn't have gone missing, 
and the whole rest of the movie would would not have been necessary to happen and i kind of wish that they had gone to mcdonald's yeah so max and mom have a fight they have to make sure that they each say each other's full names uh which i i've never had a public fight with my parents and like them shouted my full name two feet from a stranger <laughs> after after i just urinated in his clean house also the only characters but, with full names in this movie yes that and the only reason it's there is so that they could say the full name so jeff can find them later yeah if they didn't if they didn't this movie would not have happened <laughs> no after the the mcdonald's debate jeff goes that's a mcshame oh that's that's the level of comedy this movie reaches like that that's that's what they think is funny can you imagine rob delaney just reading that in the script and being like oh god (laughs) that's the that's the thing though like a lot of the a lot of the talent in this movie is chronically underused yes we we like all the people in this movie they're just not used well all right so jeff and pam they're kind of down on their luck. Like I said, they don't tell their kids that they're selling the house. So when the kids come home and they see Keenan Thompson, who plays the couple's realtor, he has to pretend to like be a personal trainer that comes to their house at night. They can't sell their house. They have a fight about Jeff's job, which like really go into the weeds about his hatred of the cloud and how it's like eliminated his job and he hates the cloud and it's the worst thing ever. I don't know if it was comedic or meant to be like an actual dramatic conversation. I highly doubt there was much thought put into that. I, you never know. I would be curious as to see how many uh, drafts of this script there were. That was a question I've been asking throughout the movie. I'm like, is this meant to be comedic? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the butterfly meme. Is this comedy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jeff's brother shows up. Uh, Jeff's brother, his brother's wife, and like their obnoxious son visit. Uh, they have more money than Jeff and Pam. It creates kind of a tension. Jeff and Pam are trying to act as though everything's all right, which they are not. Back at Max's house, everyone's crazy. Pete Holmes is just shouting any line that <laughs> that was given to him as kids are shooting him with, with Nerf darts, which I understand it's not nice to be shot with Nerf darts. Tyler, I know you have some experience in that realm. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't, like, is, are you like down on the ground as, the, as though you're in war after being yeah, shot with a Nerf every dart? Every time I get hit with a Nerf dart, I imagine I just got hit with a real bullet. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, when, when Forrest Gump said something bit me, he was referring to a Nerf dart <laughs> yeah, in Vietnam. Just one guy with a Nerf dart. <laughs> He grabbed the wrong gun on the way. (laughs) Yeah. Max's mom is like trying to organize things for their their trip, their international trip. So she's on the phone trying to concentrate. Max is trying to talk to her and she like tells him, hey, Max, you can't like be the center of attention for two seconds. Um, So he goes into the garage to just kind of chill out. So I just want to say really quick. You say in how they're about to go on an international trip. It's a trip to yeah. Tokyo. What 10-year-old mm-hmm. kid wouldn't want to go to Tokyo? I know when I was 10, I would have I loved to go to Tokyo. Sir. 
Maxwell Johan Mercer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a freaking, I mean, unless you're that spoiled that a trip to Tokyo just doesn't even phase you or make you feel any type of way, or let alone be a, if you're averted to wanting to go to a place like that, I mean. You know, one departure here from, like, the original that I just want to mention real quick is, like, his family is, like, mean, mean-spirited and very rude to Kevin McAllister. They're not in this movie. He just finds them annoying. <laughs> Well, there was one thing. One of his relatives steps steps on a Lego, says it's the most painful thing that can happen to a person. This is coming from, from a guy. So clearly he has never experienced childbirth. He has also never experienced his spouse calling him an incompetent little baby idiot, which we all know is the worst thing that, that can happen to you. That is absolutely the worst. Yeah. And then the sister, like Max like brushes his sister's shoulder. And Tyler, what happens next? Her response is like, oh, well, don't touch me, you perv. I'm your sister. <laughs> it's just, just the weirdest response, especially in like a children's movie. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that's the thing. A lot of the humor in this movie, I mean, on the surface, yeah, it, it's clearly a kid's movie by the actions that seem to happen. But the, hu- I, the humor feels like it was just more. What is that? It. Is that humor for an adult though? Well, like, I think I think it was to find that funny. I, well, I think they were trying to do the thing that m- almost any other movie does better, where if it's a kids movie, you're trying to you know throw some little you know double entendres, little innuendos in there to keep it interesting for the parents, so it's not mind-numbingly boring. But this, I think this movie tried tried to do that, but forgot that they're supposed to be subtle about it. And... I don't think that's even applicable here. Like that's not comedy. It's just well, nonsense. Well, that and I, it was written. I, I, it was written in such a way that it comes off like the. My first thought is like the writers definitely think this is funnier than it is. Like, I can picture the people writing this movie be like, ah, ha, ha, see what I did there, and Fair. it doesn't hit like that at all. But like the. Fair enough. Yeah. While all this is happening, Jeff finds out that the doll with the upside-down head is worth over $200,000. So this could really save them from having to sell their home, from upending their life, their kids' lives. So he's like, perfect, you just got to have this doll. Realizes the doll is missing. So what is his natural conclusion? He thinks that either Max or Max's mom took the doll. So he very reasonably, the next morning... Uh, goes to the Mercer home and just asked asked to see the mom, ask if he can get the doll back. But he just gets the crazy relatives. The mom has already left in another car. And we have <laughs> we have Pete Holmes here who shouts about Toblerone. <laughs> but he says Troblerone, which is not a dig on Pete Holmes. You guys know I stumble on my words every three seconds on this podcast. But the point is, like, he couldn't get another take of that two seconds of film. They like, probably thought like, that was comedy. They're like, he misspoke. <laughs> I just, I'm sure he said it, and then they yelled cut, and he was like, hey, I, I feel like I said Troblerone there. Do we mind if we do it again? I, th- and, I think they can the do it. the director responded, no one's going to watch this, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> 
Toblerone cares. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a Toblerone executive that was like, what? <laughs> we paid a lot of money to be in that movie. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was Troblerone because it's a triangle. Maybe that, maybe that was his rationalization. I just want to throw in here because I think this is a good spot to say it. Pete Holmes and Chris Parnell, who are two incredible comedic actors, comedians, are used in these roles, and they're in it for like two minutes, entire screen time. I don't understand why they're in this movie. They're not used at all, especially Chris Parnell. Half his lines are delivered in another room behind a door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sucks. say half his lines. I think he has one line. So <laughs> I think he has two in that and like two at the house. Yeah, so. it's it's ridiculous. And he doesn't even get to be like center frame, even for like one shot of this. It's just like him walking by. <laughs> I, is also, terrible. he doesn't get like any comedic lines. He's like, "Is Carol still here?" <laughs> yeah, I um, I I had to like pause and rewind it for a second to make sure it was Chris Parnell. I'm like, that looks like Chris Parnell, and then I was I, I was shocked when he just didn't appear yeah. again. <laughs> Yeah, I thought uh, Rory Cochran was overqualified for his role in Antlers, but this this really takes the cake for <laughs> most overqualified in the if year. Just, if you're a fan of the show Thirty Rock, Chris Parnell's character is like the funniest character in media for me. Like, I think he's hilarious. So, I, I think that was absolutely wasted potential. Yeah, uh, Jeff. While he's at the house, he doesn't want Pam to know about this yet. So he, he texts her. He gives her the excuse that he is out for milk, which is really just the most cliche deadbeat dad, I'm about to exit my kids' lives <laughs> line. And lo and behold, the great visual gag of they have like eight gallons of milk in their fridge. Why do they have so many different milks? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how they use it all before yeah, it goes bad. Yeah, milk has a very short well, shelf life. Because that's, that's comedy. Aha, uh-huh, they got a lot of milk. They do have a lot of milk. They they, um, so, they did a milk gag in Shit's Creek one time. No, don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh, Jeff and Pam fight. They fight while they're at. They're in like a bell choir. They like shake bells to the tune of Christmas songs, and they have a fight. And just like nobody is really noticing that they're fighting, even though it's a three by three foot room. Um, and they talk about stealing the doll, how it could help them win back their house, and they kind of decide to steal it. They're under the assumption that Max has it. There is an O.J. Simpson joke. Don't worry, guys. I know you were waiting for it. There is an O.J. joke. Where... You know, children love O.J. Simpson jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't make anybody uncomfortable when you make an O.J. joke in the middle of a family holiday movie. The joke is that they're they're going to steal back the doll that was stolen from them. So Pam's like, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with stealing back what what was originally yours, Jeff right?" Says that. Oh, Jeff says that because Pam brings up. OJ. Oh yeah, and then she goes, "That's what OJ got busted for the second time." <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> that as as you'll mention later that's not the most egregious reference no. to the past no it's, no, it's it's not um there there's another joke in here and this is probably my number one pet peeve is that they make a joke about how 
oh, remakes are never as good as the originals. Stop. <laughs> this is in every remake. They always make a joke about how there are too many remakes. I think recently the, like, Save by the Bell redo did this as well. And, like, enough. Just because... I, can, can I just say that being self-aware does not absolve your movie of no, being bad? Yeah, it doesn't. You didn't just wipe away your sins from that. Like, you didn't cleanse it. Right. It, it's still bad, even if you're ever like, oh, even the, the original's better. I don't... Yeah, of course. That doesn't make this any worse. Exactly. Or any you're better. right. It's... So this is going to turn into a, like a fun with Dick and Jane thing where Jeff and Pam are going to go try to steal this doll back. Uh, meanwhile, Max wakes up, realizes that his family is not there, and he has a very mild amount of fun for like an hour. He has some whipped cream, he sleds down the stairs, and then pretty soon he's like, it's no fun to be alone. <laughs> he pays homage to Scarface. Can't, I, can't I, I, I was going to say, there's another pillar of the mismatched humor in this movie. In that scene, when he takes the uh, mountain of M&M's and just, like, dives his face into it like Tony Montana. And he's wearing a suit. <laughs> he's wearing a freaking suit. And all the Brian De Palma fans were, like, hooting and hollering <laughs> that scene. <laughs> Nothing, nothing, nothing. Kids love the kids love more than uh, Scarface. Scarface. All the kids love Scarface. <laughs> Scarface is lit. I always walk yeah. by kids and they're like, "Call me Tony Montana." God, I, I told you before. I think they really just they wanted to honor Oliver Stone. They figured that he was going to be sitting down to watch Home Sweet Home alone. They're like, "We got to do one for Oliver. He's given us so much." <laughs> He definitely uh, sat down with his family, and when they did that, he's like, hey, I wrote that movie. Yeah. <laughs> it paired really well with the Born on the Fourth of July joke that they make in the third act. Right, so Jeff and Pam go to Max's house. Max, and this happens in multiple scenes, Max overhears them talking about stealing an ugly little boy. <laughs> and of course... They are referring to the doll because that's how you talk about dolls. You wouldn't say, hey, let's get the doll. You say, let's get that ugly little boy and sell him to some old ladies so that they can groom him or whatever. That, that like, fantasy scene was just really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, Max has a fantasy of, like, him just sitting on a couch with, like, old ladies brushing his hair. Which I, I'll, I'll, and feeding him gross old lady. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I did find I did find that little that that bit funny with the whole ugly little boy thing. I, I mean, but that's oh, not how I, anyone talks. No one's going to refer to him as the I know, ugly little boy. I know, boy. I know, but well, you never as a kid. He's a kid. He does, he doesn't know any better. <laughs> no, but he doesn't refer to that as the no, the adults refer to it as the ugly little boy. Why well, would what, they say that? I know. I just I don't know. I got a chuckle out of it. I got a chuckle. That was the most I'll give it. But score one for Home Sweet Home Alone. <laughs> about forty minutes in. All right, but who should show up? But a police officer. What police officer is it? Well, it's Devin Rattray who played Buzz. <laughs> In the original Home Alone, Kevin's brother, and he plays Officer Buzz here, Officer Buzz McAllister. He's like, oh, hey, what's going on, you guys? Jeff and Pam convince him that they actually own the Mercer home. No, They're... I don't think Jeff does. 
Okay, well, yes. I was going <laughs> to try to... it needs to be said. I was going to try... There's a very uncomfortable flirtation. There's <laughs> there's eyes moving. There's comments made between uh, Pam and Buzz. And I really just wanted it to be over as soon as possible. So, so what, what was worse, that scene or the sex scene from Eternals? Um, I, I'm not sure that that was actually a sex scene in Eternals. I'm not sure that there was any sex going on in that scene. <laughs> that wasn't the question, though. What was the worst scene? Uh, the worst scene was Eternals, I have to say. Because I thought that the film had just frozen for a few seconds. Yeah, I thought that was, we were about to run out and tell him the movie. Yeah, it's like quick story. Yes, please. when Tyler and I went to see, we may have told this, but when Tyler and I went to see, was it the Last Jedi? It was the Last Jedi. Yes. So when we went to the theater, there was a sign out front at the box office that was like, "If you're going to see the Last Jedi, like." There is a moment in the middle of the film where there is total silence. This is intentional. It doesn't mean that the sound system is broken. <laughs> and if you've seen The Last Jedi, you know that this lasts maybe like 10 seconds, maybe Not a little even. more or less. Yeah. <laughs> who who was sprinting out of the theater? There's no sound. There's no sound in the movie. Someone had to have immediately jumped up as soon as the sound went out and like ran all the way out. Yeah. To the, uh, the the box office to tell them there's no sound. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what I had thought during the the eternal sex scene. But back to this, there's uncomfortable flirting, and then we have just two really egregious things. I'll start with the Jeff and Pam thing. Pam is driving away, and she's driving quite fast. And Jeff goes, "Whoa, slow down, Axel Foley." <laughs> Was Every parent across America is supposed to be like, oh my god, they saw Beverly Hills Cop as well? I love that movie. I will say, as someone who loves Beverly Hills Cop, I did, the reference did not land at all. I was, I was not my reaction to be like, oh, that's the Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> it actually, it actually took me a minute to register who Axel Foley was. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when there when there was a banana in their tailpipe, that really set it home for you. But like, it's to be like, every you could pick from any movie of any like crazy driver, and you pick Axel Foley. <laughs> okay, Dom Toretto. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That, that would have been a more apt reference that like even kids would have gotten. But you want with Axel Foley. <laughs> What do you honestly think would be more recognizable, saying Dom Toretto or saying Vin Diesel? I think saying Vin Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think people know who Dom Toretto is. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know if I always think about him as that. He's, he's family. He is family. And speaking of family, uh, <laughs> speaking of family, we have, there's a call made to the police station. And they, they send it out over the radio. They're like, oh, hey, there's a, there's a kid by himself in this house. Officer Buzz is on the case, though. He's like, nah, that's a BS call. You know why? <laughs> because my brother, Kevin, and we're like, oh, God, Kevin still exists. Kevin puts in a prank call every year that there is a child by themselves at home in that house 
he makes a prank call about a child in danger every year to the police station for, for, and they haven't said hey mr McAllister, can you stop yeah like this is very for, dangerous for, for 30 years straight for 30 years straight ever since that day and every year buzz is like ah there's no child in danger that's just kevin so we get a very boy who cried wolf or boy who cried ugly little boy situation here <laughs> We but, have. Oh, go oh, ahead. And then they like he's like, "Well, this home was equipped with a McAllister alarm system, so like, is he just calling the homeowners and be like, by the way, since we installed this system, you have to make a call at Christmas that your yeah. child is left alone." <laughs> yeah. How many Christmases have the police shown up at the house and the parents are like, "No." We're here. It's okay. <laughs> well, apparently he's been doing this ever since. So this is the time he's realized. You know what? This yeah. is this is a prank. I fell for it for thirty years, but not anymore. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me thirty-one times, yeah. shame on me. <laughs> and here's what what happens at the end of that scene is that Buzz is eating like a sub, and the ending shot is food spilling onto his shirt. Because it's funny that he's a slob and there's not enough bread to hold in the meat in his sandwich. What was that food? I thought it was a burrito. It could have been a burrito. I, there was sloppy stuff coming out of the end. And it was on his shirt and I was I was laughing my head off. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, this is comedy. Yeah. Uh, and then my, Max's mom in Tokyo finds out... And, her response oh, is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not. Especially because, like, the, the reaction of the the original Home Alone is, like, kind yeah. of iconic with, like, the Kevin. This yeah. one's like, he's not here? <laughs> like, this, is, this was like, oh, we don't have fresh towels in the bathroom. What? Like, that was the extent of it. And then there's a fight. Um, she has to go home. There's an incredibly just reprehensible scene mm -hmm. with her talking to an airport employee. Horrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. Horrible. Like, yeah. what, I, very, very... <laughs> like, it felt so outdated, like, for a comedy movie. Yeah, it would, like, I haven't seen a movie this bad. Or, I shouldn't say a movie. Well, yes, I haven't seen a movie this bad in a while. I haven't seen a scene like this that was this problematic since probably A Christmas Story, the end of A Christmas Story. Yeah, well, there's a lot of problematic Asian stereotype scenes like yeah. this. Like, I know Friends did it, too. Like, yeah. with the introduction of Julie with how Rachel acted. Once again, I'm doing it again. This is the third time now. I just want to keep count. Stop. Stop. P pretending Asian people can't speak English is not no. funny. It hasn't been. It's never been funny. No. Just, just stop doing it. Stop. It's not cool. It's not funny. Just cut it yeah. out. It's horrible. Like, were we supposed to laugh at that and be like, "Haha, the person's like, like I saw it coming right. from a mile away." Yeah. It, it, it's it's been so overdone. It, it just no. Don't do it. Don't Comedy see writers, it no. Yeah. After that, we get a horrendous scene. This is the Oh Holy Night scene. This is the scene of the first break-in into the Mercer house. Or so we think. <laughs> so we think. I just want to set the scene 
this this whole thing this sequence is set to a group of innocent children a choir singing oh holy night which as i previously mentioned is one of the most beautiful songs i have ever heard so they're singing jeff and pam they go there's a big wall that they think if they jump over that they will get to the mercer house and what happens is as oh holy night is playing they try to jump the fence pam gives jeff like a hoist up uh his rear end is close to her face and what else does he do but fart in her face and it was i i just don't know why that needs to be included in any movie I don't know why that would even make it to a first draft. Because farts are funny. <laughs> see, our listeners can't can't see it, but I just rolled my eyes immensely, which is my exact <laughs> reaction to how this scene played out in the movie. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> I also feel bad for the closed captioning person. Yeah. <laughs> I usually watch movies with closed caption, and the person who had to type out, like, farting in parentheses <laughs> or whatever. Just just the most over-the-top, like, ten-minute fart. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, like, just just stop. And then he gets a little higher. She climbs the, tries to climb up him. They switch to slow motion as, like, she pulls down his pants because they weren't tight enough. And so she falls to the ground. He's in his boxers. They're slipping and sliding. They get over the wall. They're like, okay, we've made it to the Mercer house. They walk in. Oh, lo and behold, there's another family. Go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> Can I just bring up a point? So this is uh, this is what I want to bring up. And I say this about a lot of movies. I've said this for a while. Movies don't know how to use slow motion for the most part. <laughs> The most overused thing in movies, the most overused theatrical like effect, and in this this entire wall scene is in slow motion, like and it's it's for no reason other than to be like haha they're falling down in slow motion, the slow motion it's overdone and it's one of the worst in this movie. But not the worst. <laughs> and Mike, I want to remind you. So they didn't actually make it over the wall, remember? Because what what yeah. fumbling climbing over a wall scene wouldn't be complete without uh, an unlocked gate five feet away from where they were trying to climb the wall in the first place. So they end up going in through so, the gate. Uh, you're right. I'm gonna combine both <laughs> these things, both odd use of slow motion and. Something that should have definitely been in your visual field that was not. And recommend the slow-mo Hoffa assassination (laughs) scenes. I was going to mention that towards the end when we talk about there's even an even worse use of slow-mo in this movie, which is the second worst. And I'll I'll, I'll talk more on the Hoffa. I'm going to bring that up later. All right, we'll, we'll save it. But they get over, um, there is what seems to be a grandfather reading his grandson a book, the the grandson notices and what was the question why, that he asked why why what well, this is after they're in the pool oh yes so i will say this is the point that i will give it they did an impressive gag where they're like they realize it's the wrong house they're walking out there's a snow covered backyard so they think it's just snow and then they walk onto a covered swimming pool which is Clever, you wouldn't see the pool. And they're slipping and sliding, and then the kid poses this question. Yeah, why Why do man and lady drown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and he said, "Because that's how kids talk." <laughs> They say things like, why are man and lady drowning? <laughs> to which the response is... <laughs> what was it like? They're not drowning. They're yeah. they're flying sky high. Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd recommend Sky High. I love that movie. Not not a Christmas movie, yeah. but go watch Sky you gotta, High. You gotta give it a point for that, uh, for that pool scene, though. So that's score two after like an hour yes. and ten minutes now. After an hour and ten minutes. So they walk out. They're like on the edge of frostbite. I don't know how they didn't have their their limbs turn blue and fall off. But they regroup. They talk about the ugly little boy again. Max is just on the balcony, coincidentally, to overhear them saying, We're going to get that ugly little boy, aren't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're pumping themselves up. They decide to come back at midnight so this is the important part because Max hears this and now he knows that he has some time to prepare. Luckily, he doesn't really need time to prepare because he knows what to do in three seconds. Mm-hmm. He, he has an entire plan drawn out. He's been waiting for this to happen. <laughs> the plan is like three feet higher than he is on his wall. I don't know if he had a step stool or something, but it seemed unnaturally high for someone of his height. <laughs> So the parents, they come back to rob the house, and I think this is a good time to go through Max's pranks, because this is a very extended sequence, much like the Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern stuff in here, where they're just getting pranked and tortured for a while. I, I just want to preface this with my own my thoughts on, and I want to remind everybody right now that we're supposed to root for the kid, I think. But yeah. knowing the full con, but knowing the full context of the movie left me so uncomfortable during every one of these pranks. And yeah, I, th- I think that needs to be said here. And the main difference between this and like the original Home Alone is that the villains in the original Home Alone and like Home Alone Two, which are the only two Home Alones I've seen before this one, are reprehensible people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they're trying to steal. Where these people are just. A, a married couple trying to save their house for their family in financial, like, strength. Who think they were actually and robbed. Yeah, like, they were trying to steal back something that's already theirs. That they So it's a weird... Like, that was just... Like I said at the beginning of this, from the premise up, just as a premise that does not work for this movie. No. Because, like, we don't want to see these people tortured horrendously as they are yeah. through this. Mm-hmm. And we don't root for the kid because the kid's insufferable. I don't understand the thing. Right. Also, we know that they're not trying to sell him. They they just yeah. want the doll. I and I, again, they're they're going about it wrong. I mean, you can't like go in someone's house and steal. But like ultimately, like you said, they're trying to like make a life a sustainable life for their family. And now we're supposed to laugh at them getting tortured. I, I didn't I, buy it. I think I think I, I I'm giving him maybe too much credit here, but I think it was supposed to be like we're gonna turn the Home Alone formula on its head, and no. that, that was the reasoning behind it. But it does not work at all. No, no, absolutely not. So Jeff and Pam are driving up at midnight to Max's house. They are skidding. They have an argument about breaking into the skid versus steering away from the skid. And they crash into a pole. And Max is like, wow, I didn't even have to do anything. This is great. <laughs> also, they they talked about that more than once, the steering into the skid thing. 
That came up earlier yes, in the movie. That's comedy. I mean, hey, it's relatable as an adult. You get told different things. But there we have the ice on the driveway thing. Max just wets the driveway so that it's icy. Jeff and Pam slip, and Jeff says, Oh, I think I broke my coccyx. <laughs> and everybody laughed. Which is, hey, it's your tailbone. I, I don't know... I don't know why he had to scream that. I don't know why he would know that he broke his coccyx. Um, but, hey, it, good for you, Jeff, for knowing cause it, that. Because it has a funny word in it. This is true. Ix, you're right. Uh, there are icicles that Max creates like from his gutters. They almost hit Jeff in the crotch, but thankfully they don't. Uh, we have... <laughs> He would have died with those icicles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were, he there were multiple. There were multiple points in this in this scene where they probably could have seriously gotten injured or killed, which is why yeah, the, I, they uh, needed wrongful death insurance. The icicles were like the the spike scene in Hot Fuzz. If anyone's oh, seen no. that, it would oh, have been like that, that scene. Just thinking about it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, Max. He goes to his staircase and he saws off like one random pole <laughs> up from the bottom of the stairway, like the part that nobody touches. You know, you hold the banister to go down. He saws off one of the poles underneath on the off chance that somebody tries to grab onto that as they're falling down the stairs. And I bet you can guess that's going to happen later. Wow, what a shock. He puts Legos on the floor. Uh, he puts extremely hot sauce in cookies and leaves the cookies on the porch. <laughs> Jeff... No, just outside on the step, like, not even, yeah. like, the porch. It's, like, all the way down a walkway on the step. <laughs> Jeff finds them. He's like, hey, I know we're here to, like, rob a kid, but, like, I could take a second to, like, enjoy a nice cookie. <laughs> I deserve it. And then he tastes one, and then it's so hot, but there's a cup of milk, thankfully... <laughs> But then he drinks the milk, and what does he say? It says milk hot, <laughs> which I'm I'm left confused as whether the milk is like warm hot or like spicy hot. That is not clarified. It's we icy hot. Brought hot. to you by Shaq. Not even milk hot. He's like milk hot. <laughs> he really was Frankenstein's monster in that moment. Uh, see, callback. That's yeah. comedy for you. <laughs> Uh, Max puts butter on the stairs, and then this next one is, uh, I just found the most ridiculous. He uses the Mentos and soda thing so that they'll explode. Here's how it's set up, is that Pam is like down in the backyard, I believe, and Max is up on like a second floor balcony. He puts the Mentos in like these two liter soda bottles and is able to throw them down into the yard and hit Pam, who's a moving target, Every single time. Every single he doesn't one. miss once. And he really pulls out his Steven Seagal essence because he has this great line. He says, why buy in bulk? It's more cost effective. <laughs> I just want to point out in this scene, they're talking to each other. If she just said, like, hey, we're here for the doll, yeah. this would have well, been resolved. But instead there was a vague, like, hey, we just want to <laughs> yeah. talk. Yeah. Well, she she would have said, "We're just here for the ugly little boy. You'll never take me." 
he sets Pam's feet on fire, her feet on fire, and this was this does not have the comedy of uh, Joe Pesci and the torch to his head in the other one. She has to like put her feet up on a leaking faucet, which is made to spray her in the face, and then we get a shot of Pam, this mom who's just trying to like save the life for her kids, of just her crying for like three seconds, like totally defeated. Which I was just like, this is just depressing. Yeah, yeah feet like burned to a crisp, but she, I mean, you're lucky you just caught her feet on fire. You like literally poured like yeah. <laughs> fire onto like the um, lighter fluid while she's standing there. Yeah, they, there. they, did, they yeah. didn't deserve any of this. But yeah, like I don't, I don't get it. Like, what were we supposed to feel in that moment? Like, she's like being tortured brutally, and <laughs> it's just a mother trying to protect her, like trying to um, save their home for their yeah. kids. And so he, Max, also has a billiard ball gun, which he just mercilessly shoots Jeff in the forehead with. It, it was like and terrible. He, like it's not even like a comedic mm-hmm. like fall. Like he just goes down. Like he got murdered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> brutal. And well, it was all part of Max's plan. He planned this out meticulously because then after Jeff gets knocked out, Max puts a VR <laughs> headset on, <laughs> so that when Jeff wakes up, he sees that he is in the desert. I don't know how good the graphics were on this or how badly jeff was injured but he truly believes that he is just in the desert now he looks down at himself to make sure that this is reality it is not just the matrix he is still wearing the santa suit that he is donned in so he's like oh well this this has to be real life i'm still wearing the yeah, santa that's, suit. that's how vr works <laughs> you just look down and see yourself in it with your clothes <laughs> yeah but then he figures, he's like, oh, why don't I just sit here and like think about what to do for a minute? He's like, I just got to get moving through the desert. <laughs> so he's walking along, and of course in real life he's walking through Max's foyer, and then he comes to a little ledge. He's standing on some rocks, there's a gap, and then there's a little plateau of rocks a couple of feet from him. He's like, oh, just a little jump. Just coincidentally the same distance that it will take for him to jump into max's shelves where there are a bunch of knickknacks and stuff that can hurt jeff (laughs) so he makes the leap of course he smashes into the shelves i don't did max know that exactly that was going to happen when he planned it out did he design this vr program like (laughs) yeah really exact distance to jump into the bookshelf every kid's favorite vr the desert that's that also like there's no vr where you move with it like you walk in the vr because you know you're in a room yeah that's yeah. not gonna work yeah <laughs> it's so, I mean, that, so dumb. it worked so who are we to question it sure <laughs> i mean with and all the then, other stuff that's happened in this movie so far I, I guess we can't get too hung up on that I, it's true <laughs> because it would be just be so exhausting honestly and also that, i just want to throw something out here they, they they put on the Santa suit to be like, oh, I'll just think it's Santa. But then they both went in, defeating the whole <laughs> plan. So there's no reason for him to be dressed as Santa other than a gag. Well, it's <laughs> Also, they they know that they think that there's an Oma, a German grandmother, in that. Did they think that the grandma was going to be like, it's Santa. <laughs> 
I, I don't know what the plan was here. Klaus. Yeah. <laughs> this next one was, I, I thought, just, like, disturbing. So Max runs underneath, like, some attic stairs, the, one, the kind that you have to pull down. And he tricks Pam into thinking that he went up there. So she pulls down the stairs. Out comes, like, two artillery solid snake guns, nerf guns. And they shoot Pam about 20 times. And I'm like, oh, okay. She just got shot with some nerf darts. She turns around. There are push pins in the ends of the nerf darts. So there are just like 10 projectiles sticking out of her head and arms. And I was just like, this is really disturbing. Like, I know the original did some bad stuff, but this is like you're stabbing somebody in the head 10 times. Once again, they did bad stuff to bad people. Yes. <laughs> that makes it less uncomfortable. And also, like, see, like, they, they showed in the scene where you're setting up, putting the ner- pushpins to the nerf darts. So I, I saw that coming, but when, like, I thought she was going to duck or something. I did not think she was going to actually get hit by them and, like, turn around and got yeah. d- darts stuck in her head, like, with pointed pins Yeah, on. he was having way too yeah. much fun with those pushpins, because... He also put one in the security system in the keypad somehow. I don't know if he like pried it off the wall or something. To... It must have popped yeah. the button. I don't... He just got a spike. He went to Spikes R Us, <laughs> bought a spike, and glued it on. And, uh, yeah. But you know, you know what? I'm going to bring up something about that pet. So the, 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 he, he overhears Pete Holmes say the uh, um, earlier in the movie the code, which is 1112. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he, when he goes in the first time, he puts in two 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 one, which like it it would make sense if it was like one two one two or something, and he messed it up. But that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I was I was like that was dumb. But then he remembers it the second time when he can put his hand through the tab. Yeah, and also that yeah, that keep... makes me that makes me think about it. what would be worse, that or the nail in the foot from the original. Like what would you? I don't know. What? I don't even really want to think about it. Thumbtack in the fingertip or, or nail in the foot. What's the worst nail in the foot? Is in Home Alone or A Quiet Place? A Quiet Place. Oh. <laughs> that one's not done for comedic no. effect. Yeah, so. that that one was harrowing the entire. I mean, time. I I was I was just laughing. I was like, ha she stepped on a nail. Yeah. So after all this, they remember Jeff and Pam are like ready to murder Max at this point. And, and I don't no. blame them. No. They That's all when have you know a... you haven't done this kid right, when like I'm on the side of, like, I hope they beat the crap out of this kid. <laughs> yeah. They have a standoff. They're like, all right, don't, like, do any more, man. We just wanted the doll. The doll? <laughs> I thought you meant an ugly little boy. And they're like, oh, it's all just a misunderstanding. And Max is like, yeah, I've just been here without my parents. And Pam, who was ready... To commit child murder two seconds before is like, oh, sweetie, that's terrible. And they hug, and then a chandelier almost falls on all of them. But luckily, they just fit in the spaces of the chandelier just right. They're good, and they're like, hey, until your parents get back, you can stay with us. Which is not, not how missing child cases work, I'm pretty sure. I just want to point out a line, which is like, "Oh, if if you we knew you were staying alone, we wouldn't have 
done we would have done this differently like it was okay that there was an old woman in the yeah. house to, to, to break in but if we knew there wasn't an old woman in the house we would have we, we would have just like gone about this civilly yeah Oh, so they they stay with them, uh, and then, as Max is staying with them, they realize, of course, that Max doesn't have the doll, but somebody does. Matt, who has the doll? Ollie has the doll. Oh my Did lord! Did we bring up the uh, <laughs> Ollie's family? Yeah. So Ollie, yeah, Ollie he... is Jeff and Pam's nephew. So it's Jeff's brother and his wife's kid. Um, and. I don't know about you guys, but I had this twist pegged for at like 24 minutes in because they showed little Ollie stealing a little knickknack off of Jeff and Pam's shelf. And at that point, um, me and I was watching with my father. We looked at each other. We're like, he he has it. He has the doll. That's, that's the twist. So that means we knew that that's what was going to happen an hour before the movie actually ended. Or before the twist was revealed, which means we had to sit through an hour of of this movie <laughs> for no reason. And then reason. you had to sit through another hour of slow mo as Ollie <laughs> yes. throws the doll down the stairs. This is this is the worst use of slow mo in this movie. Um, he throws the doll down the stairs, and everyone like they jump and dive, and they're hitting it. It's bouncing off walls, and this is like a five-minute-long scene. That, it, like the Globetrotters, could not have choreographed it better <laughs> than this. And who saves the day? But Max. Max finally does something right for Jeff and Pam. He helps them out. And and I think I think we need to bring up the slow mo here. Do it. Um, just, just uh, I, I don't recommend watching the movie, but I recommend going on YouTube and searching Jimmy Hoffa or Hoffa ending scene, <laughs> and then just watch. That is the worst slow motion imaginable. It's just Danny DeVito running in a line of about ten feet for about five minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't want to spoil it, you know. But just, there just is, watch the movie. There is one supreme visual shock in that scene that I just couldn't believe it when I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> the way slow motion. So you know, as bad as this one was, it's not the worst. So it's got that going. That's, that's pretty much my whole opinion on on this movie. As bad as this one was, it's not the worst. Again, yeah, but it's not over. <laughs> well, <laughs> because one year later we get a little epilogue, and that's now that Jeff and Pam, their family, and Max and his mom and their family are having dinner together, and they're very joyous. And they're laughing about the fact that Jeff and Pam almost murdered Max a year ago, but he didn't, so it's all okay. Or they didn't. Um, Jeff brings out another case of orange soda. You you would think he learned his lesson the first time, and Max is like, can I have one of those? And there's a tense moment. And I think Pam is like, you better give him one. You know what happened last time. And they all just laugh. Again, this is Max's mom having dinner with the family that was ready to kill her son. But that's the spirit of the holidays. And that's the end and of the movie. Also, the movie wraps up in such like a like so perfectly in the in the movie world like, "Oh, we got enough money to save the house and fix up your house." So, yeah. there were no consequences to anything that happened. No. It's very much an undercover boss ending. 
Yeah, so that that is it. Any closing thoughts on Home Sweet Home Alone? Never watch this movie. Just don't. It's a waste of an hour and a half. It was the longest hour and a half of my life. It took me three watches to finish this movie. I had to stop because it was so bad. Well, that I don't, you you. That's because you didn't watch a Christmas Story too. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But we did touch on it earlier about the actresses movie. Ellie Kemper, great. Yeah. Rob Delaney, great. Love him. Archie Yates, uh, the only other movie I've seen him in besides this was Jojo Rabbit, and I really liked him in Jojo Rabbit. So, like, this movie did not utilize anyone well. Honestly, no. honestly if you're going to show a, your kids a movie with Archie Yates in it, just show them Jojo Rabbit. Just pull the Band-Aid off. I, I don't know if I'm going to second that recommend. <laughs> be, yeah, be, I don't, be cautious I don't show about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but if you have a favorite holiday movie, if you want to share your thoughts about Home Sweet Home Alone, if you've seen Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, or Home Alone, The Holiday Heist, or anything else we want to hear from you, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us and interact with us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod. That's all lowercase. And our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found on the internet? You can find me over at Maddie X Sturds, M-A-T-T-Y-X-S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd. I also want to say shout out to all our new friends and hashtag the Apocalypse group on Twitter. Uh, made a lot of new mutuals this week. We're over 220 followers now on Twitter, so I'm pretty stoked on that. And we're making a lot of friends, um, a lot of friends on all our platforms too, Facebook, Instagram as well. Um, but yeah, get at us at social media. Let us know what you want to hear. All right. Awesome. Tyler, what about you? Find me on Instagram or Twitter at Tyler Sutkus, T-Y-L-E-R-S-U-T-K-U-S. Very nice. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat, G-A-L-A-T, all lowercase, and I'm on Letterboxd at M Gallat. Next week, we will be reviewing two Oscar season movies from two notable filmmakers. First, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch and Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. See ya. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.